Welcome and thank you for joining us in season three of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Hey, Joel. Good afternoon. Hey, Rabbi Eric. I have been seeing you getting all kinds of badges on Duolingo. Good for you. Right. Yeah. I, so I, I have to thank a congregant for that, actually. Uh, we were in adult ed. I don't know how we were talking about it, but she's on a uh, one of my longtime congregants is on a 1000 plus day streak on Spanish. And I hearkened back to when I was at like just under a year, like 350. And then I missed one day and then I completely stopped for over a year. So now I'm back again. And it's actually coming back to me. Quicker than I thought it would. Yeah, um, I'm trying to yeah, do it too. You. The old New Year's resolution thing that we really did promise yep. ourselves to learn yet another language that that actually isn't obsolete at this point, like Greek. <laughs> so, and you're still working on Spanish? I am, but I had given up on it, and for some reason in the pandemic, I'd stopped. And now, in this new year, I reactivated my Duolingo Plus, and I'm working on Spanish with you. Nice. Oh, that's wonderful. I also find that it's the kind of thing that I can often do when I'm watching Aaron, because if I can grab five minutes here and five minutes there, I can do a lesson. Whereas, <laughs> you know, I can't, I don't have 45 minutes at a time, but I can steal some things here and there. And so it works. All right, so welcome to season three. How about that? It's a little different. It's a little awkward. Uh, who knows how this is going to go, but our idea is that Eric and I are going to try to bring y'all and each other one weird thing from the world that we noticed and we wondered um, about and then talk about it together. So, uh, Eric, what what do you have on the table today? You know, mine is a little bit banal. It's nothing, you know, so esoteric. It's it's very on the nose. But um, it it struck me in particular this week, just because there's a lot of stuff going on with various congregants. You know, kind of life cycle, pastoral kind of stuff. How much caring and the caring amongst congregants, parishioners, really helps to define one's religious experience. And, you know, I if we drew the Venn diagram of, you know, spirituality and community or faith and community, to some extent, they might seem different. And maybe they don't seem different, but gosh, they really aren't that different. And there is so much overlap there. And, you know, it's something I know, it's something I have known uh, but it's really been brought to bear uh, this week, just with regard to, you know, we had some deaths in the congregation, some people feeling sick, you know, many people, myself included, feeling frustrated and angry, maybe lonely at times because of the continued pandemic. And so how we support one another uh, is so intrinsic to one's thought on faith church, temple, community, that sort of thing. That, that's something that I've been thinking about. So you're saying that religious community is more about the community part than the religion part, the relationship I, part than the belief part. 
I think for a lot of people, yeah. Or if not, yes, certainly a gateway in the sense of, um, and again, nothing is this basic. Humans are complicated. We make decisions. Sometimes we don't even know why we make the decisions, even though we think we know. But um, wow, when X happened in my life, so many people reached out. I'm going to go to services more. I'm going to go to adult ed. I'm going to get involved on a committee. And even that involvement in a committee isn't necessarily quote unquote religious, but it's still helping out the congregation, which serves a religious goal, God willing. So, yeah, I, I think so, Joel. What, what do you think? That's uh, that's interesting. And it might explain several things. I think you're spot on. Like there are people who I, I don't really know what they believe, but I watch them. And the reason they do church is for the other people at the church. And they go through the habits and the disciplines and the, you know, the, I don't know what you call it, the trappings of faith, um, the, the habits of, of religion. And if you talk to them deeply about what they think or feel about God or God's kingdom, they don't really have a lot of opinions. But, but church is where their friends are or synagogue might be where their friends are. And something about once upon a time, they were kind of alone and these people reached out and they made a new relationship and now that's life for them. Yep. Would that explain why synagogues and churches, congregations get in trouble with one another? Let's say you've got a, a certain set of people in a, a religious community that are all about the faith and the beliefs. And then this other set of people in the community that don't really care about the faith and beliefs as long as we're a tight relationship. And those two, those two will battle one another. Like the first one will cut a relationship if you don't believe the right thing. Oh, for sure. And I, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I, um, I'm thinking of an example that happened just before I got here, which was there was a huge debate and almost a rift in the synagogue um, in part due to uh, policies surrounding our cemetery. So uh, you may know this. I don't know if you do or not. You know, we own a part of a cemetery. It's right across from the stadium, the football stadium. And by the way, let us say most importantly that I am <laughs> the national championship rabbi. Look at you. <laughs> you could have been the national championship pastor. Um, well, you st you still are, Joel. Yeah, you still are. Yeah, lifelong Georgia um, fan. I didn't go there, but lifelong Georgia fan. Absolutely. So um, – you know, we own a parcel of the cemetery, which is pretty unique for a, a congregation our size and, and wonderful. And about 10 or 11 years ago, there was the question, well, what what do we do with regard to burying of non-Jews? And so without without going into a whole lecture about the demography of our congregation, you know, about 30% of our congregation are non-Jews because you know, people are in interfaith relationships where one person's Jewish, one person's not. And so those people are members of the synagogue and they're not Jewish. So when they pass, where do we bury their body? And so in some regard, your question was really put to the test with this because for some, there, there was a very uh, strong feeling that they're in our community. They live in our community. They have the right to die, you know, next to our community and be buried next to it. And then for others, um, it was a question of, you know, Jewish law, right? And so, and I, I don't want to speak for anyone. I wasn't involved in this debate, thankfully. 
Um, but but I do think that is an example. And there are hundreds. I mean, you could see it almost at any every you know meeting that to you know what someone says is of course based on their point of view, and you can almost you can almost always read behind what they're saying to be like, ah, this is why they think that it's that sort of thing. So yeah. And, and I think that's a good conflict to have. That tension's a wonderful tension. Mm-hmm. It sometimes causes some pain, um, but, but it's a necessary tension. That, that might explain the tension between clergy and congregants too. Clergy mm. have to be about the faith, the religion, the, the theology, so to speak. And because clergy are likely to move from Oklahoma to Georgia and break all of their faith relationships and start fresh with new relationships, it's obvious that clergy have to be more committed and oathed to the faith, the religion itself, as opposed to the relationships. And Omaha. Oh, Nebraska. That's right. Everyone. I think because they both are OA and in the and uh, in the middle of the country, but anyway, yeah, or or yes, from Georgia to Maryland in my case, and and that Correct. situation makes you realize, wow, so I'm I'm willing to enter into brand new relationships and totally open to them, but I come with a faith, and that's that's the core of me, and the relationships are around that, and because of my faith, I'm open to all kinds of beautiful new expanding relationships. But the faith is the core, as opposed to a congregation that is so committed to the congregational relationships, regardless of the faith differences. So I'll tell you another, this might be a little bit askew to what we're talking about, but it is something I've been thinking about this week, even though I, I, I know you haven't shared yours yet, so I will, I'll be brief, is there is a debate amongst Reformed Jews as to, um, I'm not quite sure how to put this, but sometimes there are, some of us think that we're not enough about Judaism, <laughs> that we're too much about social justice and rights and equality, all, all absolutely wonderful things. I mean, you know, um, but that that sometimes comes above the quote-unquote Judaism. And of course, there is the argument, and it's a very fair argument, that that stuff, that political social justice stuff is Judaism. And I get that, and to an extent, a large extent, agree with it. Um, But yeah, again, I think it's an important tension. And you highlighted, you know, as clergy, we, we have decided that for whatever reason, and those reasons are, of course, different for us, but that religion has a huge place in our lives. And that certainly includes community. But, you know, none of the classes we took in seminary were community. I mean, maybe an elective about leadership and building community, things like that. But no, we took classes on Bible and, you know, you alluded to Greek and for me, Talmud and history and those sorts of things. So, yeah, it it is a tension and again, a a good one. Um, We could talk more about this, but I want to know what you've been thinking about this week. Sure. Uh, um, But your last one may just made me realize I I do have folks in Christian congregations who will say, hey, there's just too much politics here uh, sometimes. And, And what they mean by that is social justice style um, learnings and and those come out of the faith, right? We we would not talk about that stuff if we weren't listening carefully to the scriptures and 
and the texts and the traditions. But some people say, eh, I don't want that at my church. And, and what I've learned is, hey, me and my best friend in church disagree totally. And I didn't know that until you started preaching social justice. And then I realized my best friend and I agree, we, or at least we say we do, about religious-y, theologically stuff, but we disagree big time about political, social issues. And, and then they have to negotiate that. They have to, and for one of them, they're fine negotiating that. They're willing to talk. And the other one, they're like, no way. If you're one of those people, I'm out. Um, you're not my friend anymore. And you realize, oh, shoot, they broke relationship. So it's not congregation to them anymore. Congregation never and was about the the faith that leads to certain actions in the world. It was always about the relationships regardless of the faith. Mm. And I'll say the, the uh, corollary for clergy is interesting because we can't drop relationships. God forbid. I mean, so... You know, and that is our job. That's part, you know, as I, as I say sometimes, that's why, you know, I, sure, I'm paid to teach Torah and hopefully well and, you know, lead services, hopefully well, all those things. But I'm also a professional in that that relationship stuff. I mean, of course, I'm a person and I happen to be a sensitive person, as you know. Um, but at the end of the day, I Judaism and my interpretation slash interpretations of Judaism are what um, are what I'm you know paid to serve the congregation and not you know to make friends it's a wonderful benefit to have some phenomenal relationships along the way but that's not the primary goal of course yeah nice okay um, this might be like whoo whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> but but we'll see. No, I like it. We're ready to switch over. So uh, back in early December, the New York Times had this weird article about a pastor who was kind of kicked out of his church. And I thought, well, that's weird. Um, so, you know, I, it was clickbaity to me, I guess. And I, I went into it. So there's a United Methodist pastor up in Indiana who was on an HBO reality show. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that show. We're here, but it's an uns no. it's an unscripted HBO show, and it, um, the way the New York Times says it, it documents LGBTQ people and their allies in small towns who put together a drag show. And the pastor of this Methodist church agreed as an ally to dress up in a dress and a robe and a pink wig and nails and makeup and be a part of a drag show for the HBO TV production in his small town in Indiana. And his congregation um, threw him out about two Sundays after that. Um, and he, he was... He was relieved of his pastoral duties, I think is how they, how they said it. Right, 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 uh, right. And it was a congregation of three, four hundred. Um, and in his reflections, he thought, right, that his congregation was open and affirming and willing to do this. And he knew there were some people that weren't, but 
he thought his congregation had pretty much settled the issue, even though the Methodist Church is very divided right now about it. He thought his particular congregation was pretty settled on it. But he he got some really harsh, hurtful, negative responses from his own congregation and a bunch of messages of support. But he said he experienced more love and acceptance within the LGBT community than he did within from within the church. And and I just, you know, I, I wonder about that whole experience for that pastor. And I wonder what it says about what church is supposed to be and what we're what religion and faith communities are trying to be and say we are versus when we actually embody it, what happens? Um, yep. And, and I'm, I'm just aware that it's one thing for a church or a synagogue, a congregation to talk the talk, but something happens when we start trying to walk the walk. Um, and that a corner of our congregation that tolerated the talk is less likely to tolerate it when they see it in the flesh, I think. Yeah, it, it in some ways it reminds me um, of some of the posts, <clears throat> excuse me, I see um, in my Facebook group of, of uh, Reform Rabbis where, you know, someone will do something and they think that it's innocent or just a little bit um, provoking, but the response they get it, it far outweighs what they were expecting. And, you know, to a certain extent, I, I think it is our job as clergy to kind of know where our congregation is at. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean you should or shouldn't do one thing or the other. But if, if you're, if, I mean, it's one thing if it's one or two people, but when there is a general outpouring that you didn't expect, something is off, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, you know, I think to some respect, you have to know your congregation and kind of balance, you know, is this going to be okay for them? And, you know, each person has to decide their own battles, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's the battle they want to fight, if that's kind of, and, you know, I often I have a joke with one of my good friends who's a rabbi about this. You know, most cler- well, most rabbis, and I'm I'm going to guess clergy. I think the same is true for you. Is we have what's called freedom from the pulpit, which basically means or freedom of the pulpit, not from the pulpit. <laughs> That's funny. that was funny. If you're fired, you have freedom yeah. from the Here, pulpit. Let, let yeah. us free you from your so, pulpit. Yeah, exactly. So freedom of the pulpit basically means that, you know, when I give a a sermon, when I speak about something, I am allowed contractually to say whatever I want. I don't need to run it by anyone. But that doesn't mean that people have to like it. And I and and that is that is incredibly obvious. And yet there is such conflation of that. A a colleague of mine um, gave a you know, said some things and got in some real trouble with their congregation and was like, don't I have freedom of the pulpit? It's like, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> but they don't have to keep you as their rabbi. I, and again, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, Yeah, but, you know, I think it's naive. Well, free speech and is not free of consequences as a result of that speech. Exactly. Very well said. That's right. And, you know, I think all of us have to kind of navigate that, you know, where are they versus where do I want them to go? Where do they want them to go? Where do they think they should go? All those questions. Um, I heard for this guy because you know, he's, he's a straight guy, right? And he did this to show 
inclusion that he thought his congregation was on board with. And he also did it in the way those the story said about it was he did it to show love and support for his daughter who identifies as, you know, a non-heteronormative sexuality. So sure. so he really felt like he was I think, you know, expressing love for his daughter and others like her and expressing what the spoken position of his particular Methodist congregation was in a divided denomination right now. But it only took, you know, a, a little corner and he was out. He's gone. And and by the way, I, I look, by no means am I criticizing this man. I mean, my heart breaks for him and I admire the kind of moxie and courage of doing something like that. You know, on a very practical level, you know, like if I'm thinking back to rabbinical school and some leadership classes and it, it's like if we were kind of workshopping this, right? <laughs> yeah. and in you know, what one of the thoughts that might come up is, you know, did he let leadership know beforehand and say, you know, this is really important. And I, and I don't even mean to ask for permission, mm -hmm. but, you know, I'm going to do this let's discuss it kind of thing. And th there have been times in my rabbinate where I've done that sort of thing, where I've been very clear, I want your opinion and I want your thoughts. I'm not necessarily asking for, you know, permission, quote unquote, but I value your input and, and you know, let's go from there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, that, I mean, he's clearly wasn't at the right church. I mean, that that's, I guess that's what it boils down to for him. Oh wow! If that right? Gosh, that's a hard way to say it. I um, that, that might be spot on, but that's you know that's a breathtaking way to say it to me because um, I find myself at times where I realize there is no way I can say something that holds the whole of my congregation together as we're trying to do something. There are some who are what I think of from kind of a, a Silicon Valley terminology. I think of them as uh, early adopters, <laughs> you know, uh, yep. and then I think of some as mid to late adopters. And I think of some who are, um, what is the word for folks who never adopt? Uh, <laughs> you know, they're just Luddite yeah, Luddites, <laughs> uh, in a technological term. They will never, ever, L ever switch from their flip phone to a smartphone. They're just not going to do it. Um, so, or their paper calendar to Google calendar. Uh, and in church, I feel like that. If you try something new or different, there are people who are excited. There are people who are willing. There are people who are resistant. And there are people who are obstinate. Um, and it doesn't really matter what you do. And I find that there's really no amount of preparation or pre-communication or um, soft peddling that can affect the reality of four groups. You can reduce the number in the Latter, the latter two groups and increase the number in the first two groups, but you can't eliminate. Um, and, and I just, I wonder at what point pastors should do what, you know, what is good and true and just and hospitable and looks and sounds like Jesus, even if people are going to come at, at us with stones or challenging questions or legal arguments. I, I don't know. And I don't know how to play it. I The thing I do know is when I'm a pastor, I am not here with the congregation as my audience. I am. They are not my customers and I'm not here to serve them in such a way that they are happy uh, with the service. Uh, my only audience is God. 
And my invitation to my congregation is for them to serve God with me, not for them to be served by me. And I don't know if that's a fair way to say that, but I, I think it is. I, so I would say, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's fair or not fair. That, that's, you know, I think that's, that's for you. I mean, because we, we do have a little bit different paradigms in there because they're, you know, for a rabbis or at least the rabbis that I know, which, you know, is a niche, you know, reform rabbis, um, there's very much this sense of we serve the congregation. Um, and it, it's, and it's just a, a kind of a different framework. You know, as a Jew, I would say I serve God, even though that's not the kind of language I typically use. But I, I mean, if you ask me, do you believe that you serve God? Yes. yes. Um, but as a rabbi, I, I would say I serve the Jewish people, specifically you know, Congregation Children of Israel in Athens, Georgia. Mm-hmm. I hurt for that fella. The interesting thing is, so he, you know, he, they've cut his salary and all kinds of stuff and put him on leave. And, you know, he's cut. Um, and they started a GoFundMe to make up the difference in his salary. And it, it got twice what what his yeah, pay cut was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was, I, I had a feeling you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, it's just like, come on, church. Like, don't you see right? there's sometimes more love outside church. There's more support outside church. There's even more financial support outside church. If church was doing it that way, <laughs> it might be healthier and stronger. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that uh, was fun. That was fun. <laughs> Who knows what we'll talk about totally next fun. time. But I uh, love trying to do this kind of stuff with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's stay tuned to the news, to our lives and same for our listeners. Um, You know, tweet at us, email us. uh, We love hearing from people and uh, we'll see you next week. Keep it real. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert. And on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.